Just quickly before we get started, I wanted to let you know about a free ebook I wrote a little while back called Engineering Leadership 101 Practical Insights for Becoming a Leader at Any Stage. It shows you how to grow as a leader no matter where you are in your career, the important differences between management and leadership, and it dispels some of the common myths engineers have about leadership. And like I said, it's free. So if you're interested, you can go ahead and download your copy at engineeringandleadership.com slash leadership 101. That's engineeringandleadership.com slash leadership, the number 101. This is the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet, Episode 41. Welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, the show dedicated to helping engineers thrive. Today, I speak with Dan Langevin, CTO of Veracred, about helping engineering teams take ownership and stay curious. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I, of course, am Pat Sweet, and I'm very excited, very, very excited to have you back here again with me for this, the 41st episode of the podcast of a great interview with Dan Langevin lined up. But just a couple of public service announcements before I get to that. First, I wanted to mention an upcoming webinar. If you're listening to this just as it's released, the webinar is going to be within 24 hours. This is the Inbox Detox webinar where I present a system on how you can take better control of your inbox and make more time for real work. Uh, so you can sign up for that at engineeringandleadership.com slash inbox detox webinar. Again, that'll be happening on October 26th. Uh, so if you missed that one, no problem. You can still sign up and I'll notify you when I, I run this webinar again at some point in the future. I'll absolutely be doing this one over again. And I'm very excited to announce the winner of my lead from the jump seat signed book contest that I've been running over the last little bit. Unfortunately, I don't I'm not quite ready yet. I'm very, very close. I know the winner's email address, but I still need to hear back from them to make sure that they are A, a real person, and B, to get the contact information, their details, so that I can announce an actual name instead of broadcasting someone's email address on the internet. So stay tuned. You'll be hearing about that next week. Uh, Thanks to all of those who entered the contest. If you didn't win, still do go check the book out. Go pick up a copy. It's a, it's a great read. Can't recommend it highly enough. You can check out a link to that in the show notes at engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 41. All right, let's get to the main content for today. Peter Drucker, the father of modern management thinking, once said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. That wasn't a knock on how important strategy is. Rather, he's emphasizing the importance that culture plays within the modern organization. Today's guest would no doubt share that same sentiment. Because today I speak with Dan Langevin, the CTO of Veracred, about the role culture plays in a technical organization, and specifically about the importance of both accountability and curiosity for Veracred's engineering team. Veracred provides the first end-to-end quoting, enrollment, and membership management API platform for health insurance and employee benefits. By simplifying the exchange of data between carriers and technology companies, Veracred is enabling the digital transformation of the health insurance and employee benefits industry. 
As CTO, Dan leads the development and maintenance of Veracred's API platform. Previously, Mr. Langevin served as CTO at LifeBooker, a marketing SaaS provider for the health and beauty industry, where he developed dynamic pricing algorithms and tools to manage the company's inventory of service abilities. He was also the CTO of LawDingo.com, a platform designed to help people find and hire a lawyer virtually. Here's my conversation with Dan. Mr. Dan Langevin, welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. I wanted to get uh, started today and just learn a little bit more about about you and your company and and what your role is uh, within Veracred as as the CTO. Sure. So Veracred is an API middleware company. Um, So it's a really technical company. We connect insurance carriers and their legacy systems to benefits administrators and other insure techs uh, that are ultimately touching consumers um, and need to transmit um, and receive data from those insurance carriers, mostly around insurance products, uh, so health insurance or other employee benefits, um, and uh, you know, and distribution and, and management of uh, policies once they're uh, once someone's purchased a product. So my role uh, as I'm CTO and, and co-founder. Um, so I kind of have worn a lot of hats uh, throughout the uh, our, our development. Um, I'm uh, currently overseeing product and engineering uh, and also our operations, um, which is uh, a pretty uh, large component of what we do, actually, um, in addition to the product and engineering. Yeah, I imagine that's, uh, like you say, a lot of hats and, and, and huge breadth there in, in that particular world. Um, I'd love to know, what, what got you interested in, in this particular industry? This is this is a world that that it strikes me that it, it's phenomenally complex, highly regulated. I imagine from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, there's an awful lot that you need to to, to juggle and think about. So, so what um, what got you into this in the first place? Yeah, I think that the complexity uh, is a really interesting challenge in this space, uh, and also the lack of really good technical solutions. Um, so, you know, we think of, uh, we're talking to uh, uh, one of our investors a while back, and they uh, were of the opinion that um, the insure tech is kind of 10 years behind where fintech was, uh, technically speaking. Um, and there's a lot of need for this data. There's a lot of kind of early, ad- people who are really early adopters of technology, um, but haven't evolved with the time uh, in the insurance space. Um, and so it's a really interesting opportunity to kind of bring automation uh, and modern technology to that space. Um, but like you said, it's very challenging too, because there are 50 years of ingrained process around the legacy systems as well. Spoken like a true engineer, you, you, you see <laughs> you see a, a complex challenge and, and, and you gravitate toward it. Uh, so I, I to- totally appreciate that. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about today, or, or rather, the the main conversation uh, today is is more about more about the people side of your role than than the underlying technology that those people are developing. And two of the themes that uh, we wanted to cover today were were curiosity and accountability. And uh, from what I understand, from the way you lead and and, and what you find is important when running a, a large technical organization, it's, it's important to have that sense of accountability and curiosity. Why is this so important for a technical team that, that most people would think, you know, it's more important to know uh, the coding and the infrastructure and the nuts and bolts? What, what, why, why do these themes emerge for you? 
So from in my experience, um, the, the technical part is usually the easier part and the people is the hard part. Um, and that's true in a technology organization, just the same as it's true in any other type of uh, people management position. Um, and, you know, curiosity and accountability, I think, are, um, you know, marks of a, of a healthy culture where engineers um, are aligned with what the business needs um, and are pushing forward, you know, kind of product um, on the product roadmap of their own volition and adding to it rather than being dictated, uh, you know, a spec from the business or from product. Um, but we think it's really important that engineers feel like they're part of that process and that they are contributing um, to the success of the organization as a whole. Right. So, so we're talking about this difference between a, a, a code monkey <laughs> who understands the language and someone who understands the, the why behind it. And, and to me, that's a big part of, of accountability is, is doing, doing something with an understanding of, of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, right. But, but accountability has kind of a negative, a negative connotation to it. You, you hold people accountable. I, I've, I've worked with organizations who held literally what they called hold to account meetings, <laughs> where executives sat there and, and stared you in the eye to, to, to make you squirm until you confessed you didn't do what you said you were going to do. I don't think that that's what you're talking about here. Um, so, so in your, in your mind, what, what do you mean when you say accountability? So the business needs predictability. Our sales and marketing team need to know when things are going to be done, um, what types of functionality they're going to be able to sell and promote. Customers need to know what's going to be available. Um, so I think, you know, accountability uh, in terms of meeting commitments feeds into that predictability, um, right? And in order to feel accountable and produce predictability, you really need commitment from the engineering team. So when um, when deadlines are being set, if there's, let's say there's an external deadline, a product needs to be launched by a specific date for external uh, reasons, the first step is that you really need everybody uh, across the organization to agree that this is achievable and you know what success looks like. And once engineers are, are bought into that, I find that they're naturally very good problem solvers and they'll often suggest solutions that we hadn't thought of, uh, the product team hadn't thought of, maybe the sales team uh, hadn't heard from customers that can get us to meet those deadlines um, in a more in a creative way uh, that, that will get us there faster. Um, but in order to, to, you have to empower them to make those suggestions and get the commitment from them that they understand why, why are we marching towards this deadline? It's not just an arbitrary deadline that somebody put there. It's uh, part of sort of the company's mission and there, there's meaning behind it and they have that level of commitment. You, you've anticipated my, my next question a little bit with, with what you're saying here. How do you, uh, in, in really concrete terms, get a team to, to feel that sense of ownership, to, to feel accountable for their work. And I think, I think you said probably what's most important is you get that alignment first. You don't set a deadline. It doesn't come down from on high. There, there's a certain degree of co collaboration first, the, a, a reasonableness test uh, to make sure that, you know, it, it's something that you're not breaking the laws of physics to, <laughs> to meet a, a crazy deadline. What other kinds of things can you do to really imbue that sense of ownership uh, within a team? 
the biggest thing to me is to allow engineers to be big contributors to the solutioning. Uh, so the way that something gets built and the exact feature set um, that ends up being delivered to customers. So rather than having the product team go to sales and customers and come up with a very prescriptive, this here's the problem and here's how we're going to solve it. Start with, here's the problem. Here's some ideas about how we can solve it. And let's collaborate on what this what the final solution looks like, taking into consideration external factors like deadlines. Like if there's some market reason that we have to have it done by this date, okay, how do we solve this problem in the timeframe that we have? We have three sprints to do this. What can we do to solve it in three sprints? Um, and that sort of starts, uh, it, it breaks, uh, you know, uh, a cycle of, you know, we, you know, from the business, we dictate this deadline and these features and you must do it by this date. Um, that's not something that the engineers have, you know, agreed to necessarily uh, upfront. And uh, oftentimes they will not have a very high level of commitment if that's the dynamic that you create. Do you have any examples, whether at Veracred or anywhere else, where um, things did not pan out that way? Like, is there something in your mind that that helped you learn that lesson? You know, I, I know your background is in uh, is in software and web development. You you come from this world. Uh, I'm sure at some point you were on the receiving end of an impossible deadline or an impossible ask. How did that? How does that make you feel as someone who's who's on that receiving end? Yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely been uh, in the situation where um, I felt like there was a deadline that either was or at least seemed arbitrary to me um, or was not achievable. Um, and I think the the main thing that like my takeaway from that is that the biggest problem was that I didn't understand what the goal was, why we were trying to achieve it, and why it needed to be done by this time. Because um, going back to something that we were talking about earlier, um, your engineers are usually, are often your your best or among your best problem solvers uh, and creative thinkers in your organization. Um, so if you give them parameters, they'll often come up with a solution to them. Most of the time, uh, that will achieve whatever your goal is, as long as they have enough information to do so. So I think where frustration comes in is if you don't have you as an engineer don't have the opportunity to make a contribution like that. Um, and in, instead, you feel like there's an arbitrary uh, deadline and feature set that you have to hit for reasons you don't understand. Yeah, I think I think there's this natural uh, tension almost between the, the, the en- engineering teams in an organization and uh, stakeholders, uh, w- whether internal to the organization or, or external stakeholders, investors. There's, the, there's this natural tension that exists between um, wanting to move quickly, wanting to do uh, really incredible work, and then and then the understanding on the technical side of what it's going to take to turn someone's vision into reality. I imagine that as a CTO, this is a big part of your work, is balancing the expectations of the outside world while respecting the realities of your engineering team. Do you have any, any particular uh, uh, stories or lessons learned, any recommendations that you might make to others who are in similar situations? Because I think um, whether you're a CTO or you're a first-line manager, there's always going to be that tension between your team and trying to encourage them to do great work while at the same time pr- protecting them to, to some extent so that you're not uh, constantly driving them into the ground asking asking for them to do uh, uh, hero's work <laughs> all the time. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, there's a number of strategies that I, I've found um, work well. Um, first, there's, there is on some level um, an inherent tension. Um, you know, the business is always going to want more, better, faster, um, so that we can we can move faster. And um, and you know, you as uh, on the business side, you don't always necessarily think through all the implications of every new thing. That we add, um, and that comes into for us on our operation side as well, because uh, one of the one of the challenges in our business is that transactions need to work 100 of the time. They're they're financial type transactions. If somebody signs up for insurance, it has to work. Um, we can't have you know if one tenth of one percent of the transactions fail, that's a huge problem, um, mm-hmm. right? So as we mm-hmm. add new things, we need to consider that. Either we need a, a technical solution to that uh, to that failure case, or we need an operational one. Um, and those types of uh, that sort of level of complexity doesn't is not always the top of mind um, on your you know on your go to market side, like your sales and marketing sides. Um, so that will create a little bit of uh, of tension there. Um, I think that the uh, the the most important tool. Um, to me, is having a clear roadmap and a clear understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing it across the organization. So from your uh, executive leadership into your sales leadership and marketing um, through product and engineering to all have uh, a shared understanding of what we're trying to achieve, why we're trying to achieve it, what does success look like, and you know what's sort of the time frame. Um, within that, uh, we uh, we take a couple of different approaches to setting um, internal deadlines. Um, the majority, wherever possible, the, the deadlines are engineering driven. So engineers will say, will we'll commit to, we believe we can achieve this goal by this date, given these resources. Um, and we encourage them to be uh, not too overly optimistic in setting those so that they're not setting themselves up uh, for for uh, a crunch time right. kind of situation. Right. Um, and uh, just being really transparent about that. Um, you know, the the things that, um, you know, you as a, a as an executive sound easy might be hard and and vice versa. Um, so I think just having that that two way communication is is really clear, uh, critical um, so that we don't get into a situation where the team's worked really hard and they've produced something and it doesn't meet expectations. That's sort of the worst case scenario um, that you want to avoid. Mm, absolutely. One of the themes that that is emerging here is the importance of making sure your technical team understands why they're they're being given the projects and the work that that they're being given, that they understand that that business context. And I think that ties that ties nicely into uh, the the second word that I wanted to explore here with you, and that is curiosity. And I think that when technical teams understand the why behind an organization, what is the vision, what are we trying to achieve, that enables a certain curiosity. You can kind of start to think about uh, how how might we do X. Uh, how do you uh, how do you encourage? engineers and technical people to uh, to follow that curiosity, especially in an environment, you know, th- this is a this is a fast growing company, you've got deadlines, you've got you've got competition and, and, and uh, stakeholders to satisfy, there's not a lot of time for goofing around. 
<laughs> so how do you how do you how do you satisfy that need to be curious? Um, both both the need on the part of the engineers and and the need from the company's perspective too to come up with new and interesting solutions. Yeah, so I mean, I think engineers are going to be curious by nature, uh, and it's a thing we hire for. Uh, we look in, through our interview process. We look for people who um, like curiosity and craftsmanship are two things that are important to us. Um, so we want people who want to understand things about their work and about the world in general, um, and just are curious by nature, and who take a lot of pride in producing quality product. Um, so I think it starts. You know, you, I think you have to hire well uh, as a as a baseline. Um, from there, you know, engineers will almost always be curious about code and how things work. Um, usually they're also curious about the domain. So sort of the business context for what they're, uh, what they're working on. Um, but we also encourage them to be curious about the business and its customers. So interacting with product sales, um, executive leadership to understand what are we building, what problem are we solving and develop a uh, passion for the problem that we're solving. Um, so that's, and, and compassion for users. So those are things that, you know, we work to uh, instill in the engineering organization. Um, and that feeds into some of the, uh, you know, their ability to contribute to creative solutions in ways to solve problems um, that we may not have thought of in a, in a, a traditional kind of spec. Um, the other piece of this is that you do need to allow time for people to experiment and follow their curiosity. So we do that by allocating um, some amount of bandwidth, like leaving enough space in the roadmap that we don't, we can have, uh, you know, technical debt refactoring uh, to pay back technical debt um, and uh, encourage that our engineers um, think about how the code may have diverged from our understanding of the domain, uh, which is the definition that I, I use at least for technical debt, um, and then uh, refactor it such that it is it is you know back in line or closer to back in line uh, with the domain, and that in itself is a, is a uh, sort of experimental uh, process. Do, do you ever get any pushback when it comes to to holding? A little bit of margin to 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 address those things because I it, you know if I put on my um, uh, my CFO hat for a moment I look at that and I think ooh overhead <laughs> what what are those what are those guys doing over in engineering so I think that is um, is a way that um, that people who have less experience in working at a, a tech first company might look at it um, the way that that we think about it and the way that I, I communicate it with the rest of the team is that we're making it easier to do things in the future. If we don't do these things, the next feature is going to take three sprints instead of two sprints uh, or whatever the case may be. So we're, we're making investments that will pay off in our ability to execute more quickly in the future. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense to cast it as, a, as an investment as opposed to a cost. One of the things you mentioned earlier was the importance of of hiring for curiosity and craftsmanship, and and it, it occurred to me that that rolled off your tongue uh, very comfortably. Like this is clearly something that you are looking for when you bring people on, and and the term craftsmanship is not one that uh, I hear an awful lot of in in technical circles. 
I'd love to know uh, how do you how do you find that? How do you evaluate that? I, I'm I'm imagining uh, sitting across from someone in an interview and and trying to evaluate their curiosity and thinking that I, I'm not I'm not sure how I would do that. How, how do you approach that at Veracred? So there's a couple, uh, and I won't, I won't go in extreme detail on our interview process, but uh, there's a couple of, of points where we where we hit on that. Um, the first is in our initial screen, where we ask somebody to describe a um, a system they built or contributed to that they're really proud of, what was good about it, why why did it work, um, and you get a lot from an answer like that in terms of how how you know in depth the person understands. Uh, the the project code that they've worked on, and they're you know we're looking for like a sense of pride that they contributed something that was exceptionally good and why and understand why it was exceptionally good. Um, so that's more of a you know uh, it's sort of a softer uh, evaluation criteria. Um, but that's that's one point. Um, the second is that um, in our technical screen we give uh, we give the person a problem that we expect them to work through, but is not solvable in the timeframe allowed. Um, so you can't, it's, it's not, they know that up front. It's not expected that you're going to complete this entire task end to end. It's a, it's a larger project. You're supposed to get started on it and we see how you approach it. Um, but one of the things that we go through, we leave time at the end and we'll talk through, well, if you had more time, what would you have done? What did you learn? What compromises did you know that you were making? Versus, you know, making what we would consider compromises that you didn't know you were making, um, which would indicate sort of lack of understanding. Um, and how does the person balance the you know, desire for uh, for craftsmanship with the time pressure that we create in this in this interview situation? Um, so that's another thing that we look for um, is someone who says, if, you know, given all the time in the world, I would have done X, Y and Z. These are all the things that are are wrong with the approach. Um, but this is, this is the fastest way to get to this point. So these are the, these are the trade-offs I made and understands those things. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. I, understanding how people think is, is ultimately what you're, what you're getting at there. And I think you can learn a lot from those, those high pressure, uh, situations. So that, that, that's great. Uh, we've been talking about, uh, about curiosity and accountability and, and these are both things that are. Um, uh, hallmarks of a particular culture. So I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about culture, um, especially in light of that. There was some really good news uh, earlier this year from Veracred. Uh, I understand you successfully completed a Series B round of funding, uh, bringing $23 million into, into company coffers. So that's that's very exciting. Um, but I imagine as, a, as an executive in the company, this creates... Uh, not only excitement, but th- there must be a hint of dread <laughs> because this will this will fundamentally transform the company in terms of the size of your operations, the size of your team. If growth is the goal, then then people come along with that. And from the conversations I've had with with other other executives, other CTOs, uh, maintaining culture over a period of rapid growth is a is a major challenge. So I wanted to ask you about that. About how do you how do you plan on maintaining this this sense of accountability, this sense of curiosity, despite bringing in uh, potentially a, a, a huge number of new new people. And so, um, just for context, we've more than doubled our engineering team in the last six months or so. So we're going through this right now. 
First, I mean, I'll go back to hiring. Um, it's uh, in addition to you know the us evaluating the candidate, we try to be really transparent about what our values are and what type of person will be successful here. Um, so, ideally, you want people who do, that doesn't align with the way that they want to work to self-select out or you know make it clear that it's not going to be a good fit before they get in the door. Um, I think that's. Um, you know, in the, if you're looking to hire kind of at, at all costs, um, that's a potential pitfall of that strategy that you could end up with people who don't necessarily align to your your values. And then the culture starts to change in ways that you didn't predict and you don't want. Um, so that's sort of the, the first piece. Um, the second is to have a really good onboarding strategy. Um, it's we've we've spent uh, a lot of time and effort in developing um uh, you know, a series of steps to incorporate somebody into the team, get them productive quickly, get them uh, acclimated to the way that we work, to our, you know, software development life cycle as quickly as possible, and also to onboard them in the business and the domain. Um, so have them spend time with the leaders of uh, all of the other departments to understand what those departments do, how they fit into uh, the business overall. Um, and just, you know, get them uh, kind of bought in to the company as a whole. Like they're not joining the engineering team, they're joining Veracred. Uh, and this is what Veracred is all about. Um, so those are some things that have, have worked well for us uh, so far um, and that we you know, plan to double down on. That's great. I, I, I hear an awful lot in, in the answers that you're giving that... Um, you have systems in place and and there's a very this very uh structured approach to how you uh how you find people how you evaluate them how you bring them on um is, is this something that you, comes naturally to you as as someone with a technical background like you 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 have this vision for how the the people systems will play out or is it something that you've you've learned over time is is just the best way to uh, to 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 lead people within an organization, it, it's a bit both. Um, I mean, some of these are are things that I've I've learned, or that others. Uh, some are things that others have brought into the organization. Some best practices that they've seen other places. Um, and one of the things that we we do through any critical process. So we we identified hiring and onboarding for engineering as as critical processes for us at least, you know, in this time period, given the uh, level of growth that, that we're, um, you know, we're seeking to achieve, um, is that we have uh, the, the people who are involved in it, we treat it uh, similar to the way that our software development lifecycle works. We, we retro them every couple of weeks, especially going through what's working, what's not working, what can we tweak, what can we try we try to gather data wherever we can. We use applicant tracking system uh, to uh, see where drop-off happens. Uh, we have some qualitative uh, observation of where that drop-off happens. Um, and similarly with onboarding, we will um, take the, we retro with the engineers who have gone through onboarding, uh, with the engineering managers who have uh, had engineers on board on their teams. Um, and you know what's working, what's not working, uh, and we try to have a really tight feedback loop uh, and iterate on it quickly so that we can we can make corrections. Um, and the other thing I will say about that second piece is the fact that we do that helps with the onboarding because it shows the 
people who are joining the organization that one of the things that's important to us is to continually improve. Right. And that, and that's a positive message. That's something you want prospective employees to see that this is a place of quality and, and of improving quality as well. I, I think that's uh, I think that's great. Dan, as we as we kind of come to a close here on the conversation, I want to bring it back to our initial uh, our initial topics for today, where, where, where accountability and curiosity and and I'd love to know more about uh, you and what what are what are your goals? What are you curious about in this next phase of of your career and and for Veracred? You know, as a as a co-founder, I'm always accountable. Uh, to the business uh, and cu- uh, pretty curious by nature. Uh, you know, I'm an engineer uh, by uh, background, um, but my goals are really to continue to build on the things that have worked for us and gotten us to this point, um, but create a culture and a team that are flexible enough to adapt to the challenges that are ahead of us. Because the things that have worked for us to this point are not necessarily the things that will work for us you know, going from 100 people to 200 people or to 500 people, um, you know, those uh, those strategies need to change. Um, so I'm excited to go through that process um, and to, to, you know, learn what's, what works well uh, for us and, you know, ultimately to build a really high-performing team. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Dan. If people would like to know more about you or learn more about Veracred, where are the best places for them to go? Sure. So uh, we have Veracred. We have uh, a blog uh, that has a lot of uh, really interesting, con- varied content. Um, that's uh, about health insurance, about insure tech. Um, there's an engineering section that has has a bunch of really interesting technical uh, pieces, uh, some of which I've contributed to. Um, so that's that's one place uh, you can check out my GitHub. I've got a few projects uh, that I've, I've done personally that are might be uh, kind of of interest. Um, so those are probably the, the best places. Yeah, that's perfect. I'll, I'll put links to both of those uh, on the show notes. Once again, Dan Langevin, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you once again, Mr. Dan Langevin. Uh, as always, a really interesting conversation, lots of insights. I was typing furiously as I listened back to this episode, lots of lots of really good advice, lots of gems. One of the things that stood out to me was this idea that a business needs predictability, and that means that the engineering team needs to be accountable for its commitments. And I suppose that goes for any team. As an organization, you are operating as part of a greater whole. So your team, once you make a commitment, you say, yep, we're going to do a certain thing by a certain date, you have to understand that others are relying on you. And if you don't make your commitments, the whole system falls apart. So very, very important point that Dan was making there is in order to have predictability, an organization needs to be able to rely on its constituent parts to do what they said they were going to do. And that includes the engineering team, no doubt. One of the other things Dan mentioned was that engineers need to be empowered. And the way to do that is to tell them what the company needs from them, and maybe more importantly, why that thing is needed. And that's when engineers get creative. And, and engineers are creative people. We are creative problem solvers. There's there's a part of our brains that that's just how we work when presented with a challenge. 
The problem is a lot of leaders, a lot of organizations don't do a good job of providing that insight to their engineers and then helping them understand the so what. When an engineer understands the what and the why, some really some pretty magical things can happen. So I, I really, I really thought that was an important point that Dan made there. Close to the end of the interview, we got to talking about how culture is impacted by rapid growth. And Rapid growth can mean a project or program within an existing organization that is growing quickly or needs to scale up quickly, or maybe it's a whole organization, like a startup. Either way, if you are hiring in an emergency situation, the chances are that that's going to cause culture problems within your company because you can be less discerning. You need all hands on deck and then some a week ago yesterday. So when you're hiring in a situation like that, you're bound to make missteps. Uh, and, and one of the things that, that Dan highlighted is that the missteps are, are not going to be on the technical side. It's easy to tell if someone has the right education, the right experience. It's going to be on the cultural side because that's trickier to evaluate. And I really liked how Dan and Veracred have a system set up. They are looking specifically for cultural fit when they do their interviews, when they are scanning candidates for potential hires. So I thought that was really great. There's a lot there that I think we can all take and apply in our own situations, whether or not we work in software organizations, whether or not we work in insurance or any other industry. I think these are are universal truths. So thank you once again, Dan Langevin. At the end of the interview, he mentioned a couple places you can go to learn more. I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. So if you're curious, I do encourage you to go check it out. Next up, we have the engineering and leadership mailbag. Well, my friends, you know how this works. This is the part of the show where I read your messages and answer your questions. I promise to read everything you send me, and I promise to read my favorites right here on the podcast. Duncan Oyevar of openbook.works uh, has uh, been launching into a, an interesting little project, and, and he's sharing a lot of material that I helped work on on behalf of the American Society of Engineering Management. There was a series that uh, a couple colleagues and I worked on to, to distill the engineering management body of knowledge into uh, bite-sized chunks, uh, basically a blog post per chapter of the MBOC. And uh, anyway, Duncan has been sharing this over time uh, within his network, and he's tagged me on LinkedIn a couple times. So I just wanted to give a, a shout out to, to Duncan and to his organization, which uh, is looking to try to create business savvy engineers. Their, their whole mantra is around this idea that when an engineer understands the business side of the organization, good things can happen. And it's interesting, I hadn't really planned this out this way, but a lot of what I talked to Dan about related to the same fundamental truth. When the engineers understand what's going on and why, they can do really pretty special stuff. So be sure to uh, link to Duncan's organization and his uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So do go check that out. Also on LinkedIn, I posted something about uh, this idea I had that I wanted to share about the importance of managers needing to let their teams solve their own problems. As leaders in tech, it's so easy, A, to get into management because you are a subject matter expert. A lot of people get into management because they were so good technically. They have all the answers. They've seen it all. They've done it all from the technical standpoint. And, and that's how they get themselves into trouble when they get into leadership and management is when someone comes to them from their team 
asking for assistance, that manager who used to be the subject matter expert knows the answer, gives the answer and says, go away, I'm busy. (laughs) And there's a real opportunity missed there. People grow by confronting challenges at the at the edge of their capability, their current capability. And if you as a manager or a leader don't give them the opportunity to struggle, and I know that sounds really funny, but but really it is an opportunity to to grow and figure things out, then, then they never will. They never will. And then they will be constantly reliant on you as the manager to solve their problems, which puts you in a bad spot and prevents the team from growing. So This generated quite a bit of conversation on LinkedIn, and I wanted to share some of the comments. Dave W. said, A corollary may be that when faced with your own problem and you need help from your manager to state the facts and float an idea yourself for how to move forward. It may be wrong, quote unquote, but it's an opportunity to hear why another option may fit better in the broader picture. It also indicates you're open to stretch assignments yourself. And Dave, I really appreciate this idea. I think this is brilliant. And this is something that I recommend to my own teams all the time is there will be times where you need help. There's no question about that. And that's not the message here. I'm not saying managers never help your teams. (laughs) It's just you need to pick and choose your moments. And what I would say is when you as an individual are going up to your own manager, always come with at least some sort of an idea, demonstrating some sort of thought went into the challenge. Because then it's not, okay, solve this problem for me. It's here are some options I'm evaluating and here's the specific thing I'm hung up on in trying to decide which way to go. Those are two very different conversations. And that puts you at the edge of your capability. You've drawn that line and said, okay, I've made it up to here and I just need that little nudge. I don't need you to solve the whole problem for me, but I do need a little nudge. And that I think is is very, very helpful advice. So thank you for that, Dave. Uh, Ryan P also said, love this concept and can be used with anyone you lead. Ask questions before jumping to conclusions or communicating what should be done. There is power in helping others to learn how to learn. And I love that turn of phrase, helping helping others to learn how to learn. And this is a good way to frame a manager as coach, right? When you adopt that coaching mindset, if, if you think uh, to the world of sports, the coach can't step on the court and, and shoot a basket on behalf of the team. You can't do that. That's against the rules. <laughs> the problem in the corporate world is that often that's exactly what happens and you're not teaching your teams to learn. And I, I think this is, this is really, it, Ryan's cutting to the heart of the matter here. So I really appreciated that. And finally, our friend Neil Thompson of teachthegeek.com, a good friend of the show, uh, added his two cents. He said, plus, who has time to solve all the problems? And he's right. No one has time to solve all the problems. And this is, we do this to ourselves as managers. We overload ourselves and then we walk around complaining about how much work we have. When we have entire teams who we could be working with that we are not flowing work down to, that we are taking their problems and making them our problems, we we really, it's, it's a self-inflicted wound in many cases. So Neil, as always, cutting to the heart of matter. Finally, uh, there was one more comment left by Haley Young Anderson on the uh, on the previous episode, episode forty on meetings, and she said, "I really liked this episode, Pat. Sweet, such great and specific tips. I definitely let slip the practice of having a parking lot for ideas or topics that take a meeting off track. So it was a very helpful reminder. 
I even used it in one of my calls yesterday and added a new section for items that may require separate discussion in my meeting minutes. Thanks for another great episode. So thank you very much, Haley. That I really appreciate the feedback, and I love hearing when people are able to take ideas from the show and apply it at work the next day. That's that's awesome, and that's ultimately what I'm striving for. So really, really great feedback. And I will take this opportunity to mention that Haley and her husband, Jordan, co-host an awesome podcast themselves called Career Engineering. So both Haley and Jordan are engineers, but they went and got further education in organizational behavior at the London School of Economics, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, Really, really interesting blend of organizational stuff and technical stuff and, and very punchy, very direct, really actionable content. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you very much, Haley. I, I am telling you, uh, Dear listeners, right now, I will be having Haley or Jordan or both at some point on the podcast. Uh, I'm very excited to work with them. So stay tuned for that. Thanks again to all those who reached out. If you'd like to chat or leave a comment, please do find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or leave a comment in the episode show notes. That's all the time we have for the show today. I will be back soon with our next episode. If you enjoyed the show, please hit the subscribe button and please leave an honest review to let me know what you thought of today's episode. Don't forget that upcoming webinar, probably within the next 24 hours, so very short fuse on this, Inbox Detox, October 26th. You can sign up at engineeringandleadership.com slash Inbox Detox webinar. For more information and links to the resources mentioned today, just go to the show notes at engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 41. Until next time, this is Pat Sweet reminding you that if you're going to be anything, be excellent. You've been listening to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet. If you'd like to learn more, Go to engineeringandleadership.com where you'll find more free articles, podcasts, and downloads to help engineers thrive. That's engineeringandleadership.com.